0: God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I want to welcome you to Thrive Church. My name is Sheldon Miles. I'm the pastor of this church. I want to welcome those who are watching us in the 715 this morning. I'm glad you're connecting with us online, but I'll tell you, it is much Better in person. I'm so excited about today. Today is Vision Sunday. I want to remind you that at the end of this service, we're going to transition. We're going to open these doors here and we're inviting everybody to join us for our chili cook off. If you brought chili or not, we, we, I believe we have enough food for you. Also, a dessert cook off. Uh, myself, I have entered a chili, my wife has entered a dessert. And uh, we, are, we are free contestants. We are free to win the prize just because I'm the pastor, and I win it. I'm in it to win it, okay? And so, uh, but no, we welcome all of you. And then, and then we're going to join in here for our vision meeting here. And, whether, and, and so, members, this is for you, but if you're not a member of the church and you just kind of want to hear more about what God has in store, everybody is welcome to attend and so I encourage you uh, to do that. And I'm excited. Next week, next week, we're going to start a new series on relationships called Ever After. Ever after, because I believe everybody is looking for an ever after relationship. But how? what does that look like, and how do we get there? So I want to encourage you to, uh, to make sure that you are part of that next week. And then also uh, the mission sign up sheet, the missions night taste and see. Uh, make sure you get tickets for that. A lot of people have been signing up already, and, and we're excited about what God has in store. Let's get into the sermon today. Today's the last of our message on a sermon series called Impact. And that word impact, it means this, it means to have a great effect on someone or something in the world around you. Talking about impact, did you hear about the the, the 106-year-old cowboy in Texas? Did you hear about him? Just recently passed away. But on his birthday, on his birthday, they, 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 the reporters got in and, and met with him, and they wanted to know, what is the secret to your longevity? 106 years old, man, that's a pretty big deal. He said, so, I'm going to tell you the secret to my longevity. He says, for the past 50 years, somebody told me about this, and I thought I'd try it out. He says, I'll I, I, I tell you what I do. I, I sprinkle just a little bit of gunpowder on my cereal every morning, just a little bit. And that really gets me gone, really gets me gone throughout the day. Well, when he passed away, news reporters, they reported about this story, the 106-year-old cowboy. They said that he he left behind. He made an impact. He left behind eight children, 21 grandchildren, 32 great-grandchildren. And most of all, he made... A 15-foot hole in the floor of the crematorium. <laughs> impact. <laughs> impact. <laughs> All right, I had, I've been holding that one. I've been wanting to get that out. Jesus says that we are people of impact. If you're a Christ follower today, you've been created for impact. He said, he said this. He says, you, just look at your neighbor and say, you. You. And now I really want you to focus on, on yourself this morning. Just say, I'm the light of the world. This light of Jesus that's inside of me has got to get out. Jesus said, the word of God says, the greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. We live in a really dark world. But I'm telling you, when your light, when the light of Jesus gets out of side of you, It changes the world around it. And I want you to know, each and every person here, if you're a Christ follower, you have a purpose. You have a purpose to shine that light. And you have been empowered. That light is within you. Don't keep it to yourself when it's no good if you keep it all to yourself. And then last of all, you have been positioned to be light right where you are. You've been created for impact. Impact. And we've been talking about here the past few weeks that, that you, your greatest impact is through your gift. You see, Jesus freely gave unto you. When you came unto and you asked, Lord, Lord, I want you to come and live inside of me. And, and, and that's what he did. He freely gave the Holy Spirit. He gave to you and he says, now I want you to go and I want you to give this same thing to the world around you through your life. You see, your greatest impact is through Your give. And he starts from the inside out. Your greatest impact is already inside of you. You just have to give it away. How many of you know that you just feel like in the past three years, and really since kind of COVID, the world has really ramped up and changed? The world really changed in these past two and a half, three years. You know, studies have shown. The people since COVID, and really, I think we've been, we've been leading up to it, but people are more isolated, people are more polarized, on edge, they're anxious, and de- more depressed than ever before. How many of you have discovered that? It just, no, really, it is, just seems like the world has changed. And you know, I was listening to a podcast, and this guy was, was talking to a clinical psychiatrist, and he says, we've done a lot of this to ourselves, he said, Well, explain that to me. He said, We've done a lot of this to ourselves. We're hurting ourselves because we're, we're starting to, our relationships have, have changed. We have isolated ourselves through, through our online relationships rather than in person. We isolate ourselves because people now have the opportunity to work from home than work in a workplace environment. People are living fake identities. On social media, they can be whoever they want to be. We avoid people, we avoid interactions. So, you know, we put online groceries, everything is online, just bring it to me. And the, and the psychiatrist said that that's, we're hurting ourselves. A lot of what we just explained before is a result of our isolation. And as a result, And we see this more and more. We're seeing broken lives. We're seeing broken families, broken hearts, broken communities, communities, and it's only getting worse, only getting worse. There's a Bible story, Bible character, one of my favorites. Man by the name of Nehemiah. Everybody say Nehemiah. I love that name. I love to say that name. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. In other words, he, a cupbearer back in those days, he, he worked for, for this king in Persia. In other words, you know, it'd be, it'd be, a king was always paranoid of being poisoned. And so he was in charge of the cup. And so whenever they would pour wine for the king, the cupbearer would take the first sip to make sure there was no poison in it. How would you like to have that job? Well, he was an Israelite in Persia serving at this, some 900 miles away from Jerusalem. Just a cupbearer, just the life of a servant. Well, one day the Bible says that his brother came all the way from Jerusalem, some 900 miles, probably took over three months to make this journey. And he came to meet with his brother, Nehemiah. And it says this, it says this. He, he, he said, you know, he, he's probably asking, me, hey, how are things back in Jerusalem? He says, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Okay, if you understand anything, if you look at the Word of God, you'd see Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. That is where the, the, the Spirit of God dwelled in the city uh, of Jerusalem. And what was happening here is through the battles and through life and just not maintenance, whatever, the walls that surrounded the city were crumbling. They were in disarray. They had been burned down, and it's just, well, back in those days, this is a really, really, really big deal. Because if, if your walls, if a city were broken down, you really put yourself in a bad situation. It, it threatened their security. Uh, it threatened their identity. It threatened their existence. It threatened their future. It threatened the next generation because of this deterioration. This was a big, threat, and this was really important, and yet, listen to me, nobody was doing anything about it. Their future is right there, and nobody is stepping up to do anything about it. Well, the Bible says that Nehemiah's heart was broken. Nehemiah's heart was broken. He says, when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourn, I fast, and I pray to God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah was one of those people who was like, I'm not just gonna let this happen. But, but Nehemiah, you're 900 miles away. Man, what can you do? That's a three month journey. You don't, you don't have anything. You're just, Nehemiah, you're just a cupbearer. What are you gonna do about it? If you read through the story of Nehemiah, you see that he did three crucial things. Just quick, quickly here, three crucial steps that change. Listen to me. It changed a generation and a generation afterwards. The first thing that he did was he stepped up to God. He stepped up to God. He, said, he, he took this situation to God. God, you can't let this happen. God, the future of Jerusalem. God, nobody's doing anything about it. God, God, would you use me? To change a generation, would you use me? God, what can we do? And he, and he prayed and he fasted. God, can I ask you, when was the last time you wept and mourned over a lost generation? When was the last time you mourned over what is happening in the 715 or in, the, in our country today? In your family, in your marriage, when was the last time that you were broken and you went before God and said, God, I need you. My God, my God, I need you. Heather, you guys sing, we sing that song a lot here. And I am finding myself in my prayer time. My God, my God, my God, I need you. When was the last time you called out, my God, I need you for this generation? And that's what Nehemiah did. He stepped up to God. The second thing is he stepped out in faith. You see, Nehemiah was just a cupbearer. And you didn't just set up an appointment with the king if you're a a, a cupbearer. You just drink the wine, make sure that it's poison, make sure you don't die, and you keep your mouth shut. But yet the Bible says that Nehemiah went before the king and said, can I say something? And the king saw that his heart was broken. He says, man, I got to tell you what's on my heart. And the king responded to Nehemiah's broken heart. And because of he stepped out in faith, the king gave him permission. Yes, Nehemiah, you can leave and go to Jerusalem. But not only this, I'm gonna give you the provisions that you need for this broken wall that's happened in this mysterious city of your... You see, God intervened. Because Nehemiah stepped up to God and he stepped out in faith, God showed up. And every time I look through the word of God, I see that same thing over and over again. There is a problem, and somebody steps up to God, and God says, okay, this is what I want you to do, and then they step out in faith, but not only that, but he stepped forward into action. You see, he went, he went the 900 miles, he went the journey. And he went to Jerusalem, and he rallied the people around a vision for a better world. And then he led the way to rebuild these city walls, and it impacted that generation and generations to come. Are you with me this morning? Are you following me? All because he took these three steps. He stepped up to God, he stepped out in faith, and he stepped forward in action. Vision. Somebody said this about vision. Vision. This person said, I would define a God-given vision as a Holy Spirit-prompted communication that inspires people to faithfully follow God's plan for their life. I've heard somebody say this, vision comes from a holy discontent with the way things are. And, and, and I think that's the, way, that's the way Nehemiah saw it. He was not happy with the way things are. Somebody had to do something. We've been talking here, and I've, I've been praying about this for, for months here, the past year, and I've just been praying about a vision statement that really communicates what we see God wants us to do as a church. And we've been talking about this for a couple weeks as a staff and here's what, here's what we would like to declare to you this morning as the vision for Thrive Church. You see, this is what we see. This is what we see down the road. We see a life-giving church. A life-giving church that is inspiring, the, inspiring life change for the next generation of the 715. Let me say that one more time. We see a life-giving church that is inspiring life change for the next generation of the 715. What does this mean? Right, let, me, let me take a moment and explain what this means to us this morning. A life-giving church. We talked about this before here. We did a sermon series. We talked about the church. And I wanna remind you this morning, the church is not a building. The church is not a religious organization. Who is the church? Can somebody remind me? I remember when we talked about that. Who is the church? What is the church? Will somebody help me out here? Uh, somebody said it right back there. What did you say? We are. we are. We are. I am the church. I am the church. Raise your hand if you are the church this morning. We are the church. We are the church. And I believe the church should be the most life-giving community of people in all of the 715. Are you with me this morning? I believe we should be the most life-giving group that is meeting. So what does it mean to be life-giving? What does that mean? I've really been praying It's like, God, give me clarity of what it means to be life-giving. And I was led to this passage, 1 John 2.6. It says this. The challenge says, whoever claims to live in him must live in him as Jesus did. Well, Jesus was the most life-giving person who ever stepped onto the foot of this earth. He was a life-giver. He says that I have come that you may have life more abundantly, not only eternal life, but life here on earth. He wants to give us life. I believe a life-giver is someone then who lives like Jesus. They live like Jesus. Jesus. Somebody who loves people, a life giver is somebody who loves people like Jesus loves people. I believe that a life giver is somebody who lives for Jesus in every way. I believe that a life giver leads like Jesus when they're around people. You know, this past week had a lunch. I, I, I've been meeting this past few years a gentleman by the name of Don Ryder. If you work for the city of Wausau, you recognize that name. There has no, been nobody who has impacted the city of Wausau like this man, Don Ryder. This man worked for the city, and, he, and they, they, were asked, they asked him to intervene when the city was in a crisis. More importantly, if you ask any of the firefighters or the police department who Don Ryder is, oh my goodness, they will tell you the story of how this man led life change, through his life-giving spirit, led life change in this department, in this city. And I had lunch with him. I I meet with him periodically, and this man loves Jesus. Oh, he, he cannot keep it to himself. Not only does this man claim to love Jesus, but this man lives like Jesus, And I believe because he loves like Jesus and he lives like Jesus, he was able to lead a city in a very difficult time and lead like Jesus. You see, the purpose of the church is to join with Jesus in this mission of life change. Again, what Jesus said, this is, listen, and the the Pharisees, they couldn't stand it. Why are you here? What is this all about? And Jesus would tell them things like, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Life change, life change. And so we are a church, a life-giving church, that is inspiring life change. I love that word inspire. Don't you love that? We're not manipulating anybody to life change. We're not trying to motivate people to life change. We, we want to inspire. That word inspire means to breathe life into. In other words, the life that is in you, you breathe into somebody else. Now somebody, we, we, we saw that Monday night game here and we've been talking about here, uh, that young man that, for the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin. Remember that? He just got up from after a play and just boom, went into full cardiac arrest. Heart stopped beating. Somebody needed to get to him and start breathing life. They needed to start. And so they got one of those, those breathing tubes and they're breathing into it. They're doing this, trying to breathe life. That's what it means to inspire. How many of you know somebody who is an inspiration that every time you get around them, you might be down or discouraged, you get around them and they breathe life into you. They just inspire with not only with their words, but with their actions. I just feel so motivated when I'm around them. You see, when someone inspires you, they breathe life into you. And so they were trying to breathe this thing that we call life change, life change to me, it's just another word for salvation. Because when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, it changed my life. Is there anybody else here, your life has been changed? To please, please don't just raise your hand. Please respond to me. If your life has been changed, will you give a shout out to God? And that's what it, the Holy Spirit came in and he changed the way I thought and he changed the way I acted, the way that I felt. He changed the person that I am. And so when we as a church when we inspire people to life change, and then what, we, what are we going to do with them? What are we going to do? We're going to inspire them. We're going to disciple them. That's what Jesus did. I want to disciple you now. And I want to disciple you. Well, what are we going to do with people? How are we going to do this? Well, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to inspire people. We want this to be a place that inspires people to love Jesus. And when you start loving Jesus, that's the beginning of life change. But we also want you to take that and we want to inspire you to live like Jesus. Live your life like Jesus in your home. But also, not only that, but I want to challenge you. We want to help you lead like Jesus in your workplace and in your family and in your home. We want to inspire you to inspire I love this passage here in Psalm seventy-eight, four. David was was challenging challenging that generation for the next generation to do this very same thing. And he says this. He uh, he said this. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell who. We will not. We will not keep this whatever this life change to ourselves the power of God, what God has done in us, we will not keep it to ourselves. We will tell, we will inspire the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Listen, listen, I, I, want, I don't want anybody to get confused. Listen to me. You cannot change anyone, okay? I, I, can't, I can't even change myself, I just can't do it, you can't change it. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when I begin to tell people about the life change that has taken place in me and about the power of God, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit works in that and through that situation. And so our responsibility is to proclaim, just say proclaim. Proclaim. I'm gonna go into my world and I'm gonna proclaim what God has done. I'm going to proclaim what God is currently going to do, what what he is doing, and what he's going to do. I'm going to proclaim the goodness and the power of God. The next part of the vision, the next generation. The next generation of the 715. So why is this so important? Let me talk about this here. The, the, The next generation and how, you, how we define this, is the succeeding generation that is entering or just has recently entered into adulthood, okay? Let me, let me talk more about this. Here, here's the danger if the church does not address the issue of the next generation. If we do not follow what the psalmist said, here's the danger. And this has happened in Judges 2, verse 10. There was that moment where one generation was not stepping up, and inspiring the next generation with the power of God. Here's what happened. Judges 2.10, it says, after that generation died that did nothing, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. Somebody's got to do something. There needs to be some Nehemiahs who recognize that the walls are crumbling. The walls are burnt down a generation could be lost. There needs to be a generation. You see, there always exists two generations. Always exist two generations. There is the current generation, and I call that the Moses generation. If you know the S story, the Exodus story, that's the Moses generation. The Moses generation. If we 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 kind of look at the generations right now, the the prominent ones are the baby boomer generation. I love to study the generations, the baby generations. And I, I, I want I, I, can we can we do this? If we have people in the baby boomer, boomer, you were born from in between 1946 and 1964, would you raise your hand? Okay. The baby boomers. Give it up for the baby boomers in the house. The baby boomers and the greatest generation even before them have paved the way for why we are here today. They need to get a better shout out than what they just got. They have paved the way. I applaud you. You've, played, you've paved the way. I want to tell you though, if you have a pulse, you still have a purpose, okay? God's not done with you yet. Boomers, hear me, God's not done with you yet. You may be retired, but in the kingdom of God there is no retirement until you're retired. <laughs> you follow me on that? If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. So, so then there's generation X, current generation, that's me. That's, that's me. My, and this is, the, these are the folks who have been born 1965 to 1980. Anywhere from 58 to 43. Years. Gen, Gen X. Give a shout out for Gen X. Raise your hand if you're Gen X. Yes. Yes. There we go. There's the enthusiasm I'm looking for. Gen X. That is the, the me. So that's the current, that's the Moses generation. If you know the story of Moses and Joshua, you know Throughout the Exodus story, Moses is pouring into Joshua. He's mentoring him. The the current generation is the generation that got us here. Why we are here today, they're the ones who got us here. It's the next generation, what I call the Joshua generation, that is going to move us forward. The Joshua generation. And again the Moses the responsibility was to mentor him and then there came a day when the baton was passed because Moses entered into full retirement okay who is the next generation well there's a group of people called the millennials these are these are wait wait, wait don't get I knew they would do that the millennials these are the folks born from 1981 to 1996 give it up for the millennials raise your hand millennials yeah, millennials—they're the ones without the boundaries. We just go as we are. And then they—they they became mamas and daddies, and the baby boomers love it when when the when the next generation starts having kids because they're like, oh, okay, well you'll find out a ting or two. Okay, you'll find out. And they had this generation called Gen Z. Gen Z is this—this this is the group from born from 1997 to 2012. Do we have any Gen Zers in the house? Yeah, the Gen Zers, the Gen Zers, all right. And then we have this group, and they're not, they're not I don't think they're represented too much here, Cut that would say they're back with Pastor Sandy in the kids area right now. So, but they're the ones who were born from 2013 to 2028, 10 years old, birth on to, two, to 10 years old. Alpha, let me tell you something about Alpha. Okay, Alpha is the group, by 2028, they say, this will be, there will be two point, there will be two billion of Alpha generation. It will be the largest generation in the history of the world. Those kiddos back there. We're investing in these kiddos back here. We're, we're, we, 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 that's why we hired somebody like Sandy because we're, we're investing in the next generation that, that's why we hired a gentleman like Garrett Garrett Metz who's investing in his Gen Z yeah, you give it up when we, when we, when we talk about tithing like we talked about the other week that, that's, that's what we do with the tithe We're able to invest in the next generation. Here, let me talk about the next generation, real quick, of the 715. They're busy. The next generation, there's been a lot of change. There's a lot of single moms, a lot of kids who are growing up into single family homes. There's work, there's bills, there's kids, there's schedules. They're non traditional. They've experienced a lot of pain from the traditional ways and they're like, listen, if that's the traditional ways, I want nothing to do with it. And they have reason. Some of you, you had stepped away from the traditional ways because of the pain that it caused. It was the Pharisee that you saw in people. There's a lot of broken families. They're very tech savvy, very much, and that's why they're always on this, but they're doing things, I'm telling you, they're doing things. They're constantly changing but they're emotionally traumatized. What just happened here in the past few years has traumatized these these, this next generation like nothing else. Changed them, changed them. Remember us, we've talked about in the past this group called the disengaged. And I would say the disengaged, to be disengaged means like, I would say that the, the current generation are the disengaged ones. In other words, they grew up Maybe I've talked to people a lot who are in the in the current generation, and they say, I grew up like that, but I stepped away from that. I mean, so they have a knowledge of God, but their hearts are completely disengaged from God. Okay? Completely disengaged. I would say the next generation is not even disengaged. They are completely unengaged. They, they have no understanding. Of God. I mean, I, mean, I believe that they, they know that there is God, but they don't, they don't know about the cross. I mean, in fact, I was, I was told by one of our children's ministry leaders, there was a, a kid in, in, in kids' church one Sunday morning and said, What, what is that thing again? Just pointing at a cross. What is that? Completely unengaged. Barna, there was a Barna research, it is an organization that studies church world. They said, This emerging generation is less religious and less committed to the Christian faith than any generation preceding it. With all of this, I want you to know, though, I believe God is going to do something. I believe that the next revival is going to happen through the next generation. I believe it. I believe it. I believe that there is a hunger and they're looking. I did, I did my master's degree paper, my thesis on, on a lot of this, a leading cultural change. And I was, did a part on what kind of church the next generation is looking for. I did a lot of studies on this, but here's what they're looking for. They're looking for a faith that is real. They are tired of fake. They're tired of going through the motions. They're looking for something that is real. They're looking for a relevant experience and that happens through relationships this is a very even even though they're hiding behind a screen they're desiring craving relationships somebody in the in this current generation that will take time to get to know them it's commu- they uh, they're craving a community of relationships look at listen what it said here about the study on gen z they said this Non-Christian teens find Christianity most appealing when Christians live out their faith and talk about their own personal experiences, the things that God has done, what he's currently doing and will do, with with their own personal experiences with coming to Christianity. This again highlights the importance of that relational embodied approach to evangelism and faith in general. They're looking for spiritual moms and dads. Let me say this one more time. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Let me me go quickly through this. I I know I've been talking here for a while. I'm just passionate about this. So what do we see? What do we see? We see in the future. What do do we see? I'm asking God that he would create a culture, a life-giving church that would be passionate about connecting this next generation to Jesus. I'm praying, I'm asking for it. I'm, God, I'm, I'm saying, God, let's start in me. I, I want to be passionate. Passionate. That means the word passionate means to be all in. There are three types of cultures in church world today. Three types of culture. There is life-taking culture. And some of you are here today, you transition to this church because your, your last church, your last experience was life-taking. There is life-keeping church. And life-keeping church is, I just come to this church because they make it all about me. And I just take my faith and I keep it. But then there is life-giving church. Life-giving church is Thrive Church. Life-giving church is Thrive Church. And I want us to be passionate about this. Here's some goals that we are asking God for, for the church to step up and own. First of all, we are going to make 5,000, this is where you fill in the blanks, 5,000 community outreach connections. And we have events that we're planning to do, but we want to make connections through you. We want to see 150 first-time guests on our Sunday morning services. How does that happen? That happens through your invitation. We want to see 50, everybody say 50. We want to see 50 people Check the box and say yes to Jesus. That is not enough for me. But I put that number down, 50. Can I, can I just challenge every one of us here today? You know how we make that possible? Just one. I've talked about this before. Listen, it's Luke 15, 10. In the same way there is joined the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Just imagine a church that is passionate about the next generation and in this current generation just and, and say listen pastor i'm going to lead i'm going to inspire one person in 2023 to become a life-giving follower of jesus just one Just one. And there's close to 200 people in this this building, so I may be in this crowd 150. We had that responsibility. Just one. Just one. You're going to hear me say this about, and I believe that when we say we have 50 people who come to Jesus, there's going to be 50 baptisms to celebrate, and we are going to raise $100,000 for impact giving to impact the next generation around the world. Second thing, quickly here, a culture of life-giving community where everyone has a place to belong and grow. Life groups. Life groups. We do not have enough life groups in this church for this next generation. But in order to have a life group, you need to have Life group leaders, can I tell you quickly who is qualified to be a life group leader? Let me let me quickly demonstrate this for you. You're qualified to be a life group leader if you have been a Christ follower for more than five years. Raise your hand. There's too many hands to count. Every person who raised your hand, you are now qualified to lead a life group at Thrive Church. Life groups. We want to see a 25% increase in life group attendance. We want to see two, 10 new life groups. And last of all, we want to see a culture. We want to see a culture. We see a culture where people love to serve. Years ago, I went to this church, this large church in Birmingham, Alabama, for this, this conference. And it was all run by volunteers who took time off of work to serve the pastors who were coming into that event. Here's three things that I saw from that church. When I walked in, when we pulled into the parking lot, we saw volunteers, people who were serving, who were almost obnoxiously excited to see me. Excited to see me. I saw enthusiasm that they were there. They were excited that they got to spend their day off with me. And you know what they were? They were so excited because they had put together a program of excellence. Envision a church where people are excited about God and excited about next generation coming to their church imagine a church that is enthusiastic about what god is going to do envision a church of excellence, And here's our goals. We're going to see, we want to see 25% increase in our serve team. We want to see five new ministry team leaders. We want to see five new ministry teams. Here's what we need. Here's what we need. How many of you, you want to see prayer happen in church? Prayer should be where we are praying for people to be healed in church services. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Every person who's raising your hand, you are now qualified to be that prayer ministry leader. And I've I've been talking about this for a while. We need a prayer ministry leader. We need a prayer ministry leader. That needs to be you. Because the pastor can't be all things. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to equip the ministry leaders of the church. We need to have prayer in our services. In order to have prayer in our services, we need a prayer ministry leader. We need to have a parking team. We need to have a care team. We have people who will go and they will like, pastor, I will go visit those people who are in the hospital. I will go visit those people who are this generation, but now they're living in nursing homes or in facilities. I will go and serve them. We need a building team because I know zero about building maintenance. And I'm trying to do it. And that's why things are in disarray around here because your pastor's trying to do it. I need a building team. People who are gifted with those skills and those abilities. You know what else we need? If we're gonna reach a next generation, we need a young adult ministry. Yeah. Am I asking for too much this morning? Am I asking? I'm asking the church to be the church. Here's what we see in the future. Just quickly here. I know I'm talking too long. Here's what we see in the future happening. We see next generation community impact. We know that God put the CPC building, if you're not familiar with this building over here that's helping a lot of people in our community, we know that God planted right next to Thrive Church. And we are seeking out, God, what is our part in this? And we have some ideas. We have some thoughts that we are currently giving to God but we need to be a a church that's impacting the community. We are praying about church multiplication, multiplying what is happening here in the 715. And I'm praying for a Joshua generation leaders to rise up. And last of all, I am praying, and we declared this last year, that there would be 100 Joshua generational leaders that come out of this church. What does that mean? People who are becoming certified, credentialed ministers and going into ministry full-time, whether they are pastors or missionaries. Because you know why I say that? Because this church has been a lo- around longer than our denomination. Did you know that? 115 years old, this church, not this building, but the people, 115 years old, and this church has consistently been pouring out Pastors and missionaries all around the world. You see, the walls are coming down and we need Nehemiahs who are going to step up and help raise up. We need Moses who's going to raise up this generation. Here's what I'm asking for this morning. I need some Nehemiahs. We, we, We got a great vision here a life-giving church that is inspiring the next generation, inspiring life change for the next generation of the 715 because the walls are breaking down in the 715. I I, I have more I can say about it, but I'm going too long here. I need some Nehemiahs. I don't care what age group you're at, what generation, I need some Nehemiahs. We need some Nehemiahs, people. We need some Nehemiahs who will say, Pastor, I'll step up to God and I'll pray about this vision. I'll pray for this generation. I see it, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I will step up and ask God for it. I will step up and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? I'm looking for some Nehemiahs who will step out in faith and say, I've never been a life group leader before, but I suppose I'll try it. I've never led a parking ministry before, but I think I can do it. I I, want to step out in faith, and then I'm, I'm, I'm looking for some Nehemiah's who will step forward and say, "Yeah, here I am. Let's do this. Let's inspire this next generation." So as I close out this service this morning. If you are a Nehemiah, if God is speaking to you about being a Nehemiah, who will step up to God, who will step out in faith, and you'll step forward with what God has called you to do, will you do? Will you stand right now? Will you stand? Don't stand because I don't stand because I said, okay. But no, 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 no. Stand up if that's you. If that's you. I'm sorry to confuse you, but if God's calling you to be a Nehemiah, I want you to stand right now. All the Nehemiahs, stand up. All the Nehemiahs, stand up. I will will take this to God. I will take this to God. Am I making it clear what I'm asking? Because I'm going to tell you, this is not enough Nehemiahs not have enough Nehemiahs in the room. So I'm going to ask one more time. If you will declare I will step up to God and ask him for this generation, I will pray for this generation. I will step forward in faith. I will step out in faith for this generation and I will step out for what God has called me to do. with the Nehemiahs, please stand up. In Jesus' name, I pray right now for the Nehemiahs who just stood up. In Jesus' name, we are declaring vision for this next generation. We we are going to go out into this world and we're going to proclaim what God has done. We're going to proclaim what God has done can do what he's doing right now we're going to proclaim what he can do in jesus name and we pray that this vision that you've given us we pray that it would come to pass life change in jesus name in jesus name life change in jesus name can we give god a shout out this morning in jesus name In jesus name thank you god if you're here this morning can be seated. If you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're, you need that life change in your life right now. You can give your life to Jesus, and it's as easy as this. Just everyone bow your heads with me. I am going to give an opportunity. Just say, God, I need you. I can do nothing without you, Lord. And I'm asking that you would come and live inside of me. And that you would forgive me. Lord, I'm choosing today to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, change me, Lord, from the inside out.